Hello, listeners. I'm Bridget. And I'm Caroline. You are listening to Hearth, Home, and Homicide, a family production about family murders. My daughter Caroline and I narrate each story, and son and brother Andy is our producer. As Caroline and I talk about each family murder, we keep sensitivity for victims and their families in mind. Our podcasts do include violence and trauma. Listener discretion is advised. Well, hey, Caroline. Hey, hey. How you doing over there? Doing pretty good. It's cold outside. It's just... cold at my house, and it's just such a betrayal to the yeah. to the summer that we just doesn't seem right. Nothing seems yeah. right anymore. I know. I feel Today, blindsided. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a good way to put it. Today, we're going to be talking about a bonfire, so we're going to be um, warm. Uh, in fact, we've named our episode Bonfire. Have you ever been invited to a bonfire where it's just so fun and happy and maybe a little wild and also a feeling of safety and wonder? Oh, yes. Many a very cool bonfire, actually. I love my childhood. <laughs> Growing up in the rural areas, you have many bonfires and they're, they are fun. And you're right. They do offer a sense of security, which is funny because you're just out there in the middle of the woods, usually burning stuff, but or a field. Yeah, but it's it just fun. it's just a warm thing, and so today I'm not sure it's going to be as comforting as the ones from our youth, but um, we're going to talk about a bonfire. So today we're looking into the Hawes family living in Golden Valley, Minnesota, an idyllic place to raise the perfect family of three remarkable kids. And uh, we want to talk about how this successful, well-liked family of three generations in Golden Valley can produce a daughter and a son who decided one day that revenge was in order for the oldest child of the family, Edwin. This is the story of how Edwin Hawes was brutally murdered by his brother, Andrew Hawes, with the help and encouragement of their sister, Elizabeth. So buckle up. Golden Valley is just outside Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota, with lots of parks, great schools, just a great place to raise a family. And Dee and Robert Hawes lived in what's been called an upper middle class home in a picture perfect neighborhood. Dee and Robert had three children not too long after they were wed. So this kind of tells me they really wanted to have a family. First up, Edwin, followed by sister Elizabeth three years later. And 10 years after that uh, came a baby, Andrew. So now there's 10 years between Andrew and uh, Edwin and like Elizabeth. There's a story there, too, because 10 years is a lot. So you either were trying and it was unsuccessful or you were not and it was accidental. Either way, you know, that tends to come with some stress, I think. Uh, true. true. That's true. That's interesting. Well, at the time of our story in 2008, Edwin was 46, Elizabeth was 43, and Andrew was 36. 
So now that you've said that, I'm thinking, well, you know, between 46 and 36, those are two almost different stages of living life. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So uh, a lifetime of children, three children. (laughs) As it happens, the youngest, Andrew, did have some issues. And at some point, he developed thyroid issues and type 1 diabetes. And that type 1 diabetes is brutal really is. When Andrew was born and as he grew, his sister Elizabeth especially doted on him. She protected him in a way that was obvious to everyone. And by all accounts, Andrew saw Elizabeth as his protector. So that is a big part of their relationship. And this is also a big part of our telling of their story. Um, This youngest child who has problems and is feeling protected by his sister. The Hawes stood as the ideal family as the kids grew up. They, they were in a lovely neighborhood in beautiful Golden Valley. Aww. They volunteered at their church. That's another layer of ah. They were part of the 1960s vibe in a vibrant section of Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. In fact, I think it's this part of the country that Herbert Humphrey came from, and he was big in uh, politics, and there were, you know, so I remember as a kid, I knew about Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. Anyway, Dee was emotional and domineering as a wife and mother, so now that, that makes me wonder. I mean, moms in general are sometimes judged that way. Uh, especially if they're running the household, handling the finances, uh, dealing with school, which for a long time was the way many families were structured. So I'm not overly in love with, you know, you're dominating and and emotional. Um, Yeah, Yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, it's not very descript. All humans are emotional and dominating. We know that because of the way that the brain works. But I just, (laughs) I agree with you. I think... What it meant was she was handling her home and she wasn't about to let anyone mess that rhythm up. I, I get that because sometimes I hold really tight to very specific parts of my routine. Like you have to be at the bus stop at, at this time because the bus sometimes comes at this. You know, there's a whole life constructed by mothers and it is a web, a very delicate one that everything is balanced on. So yeah, you get a little out of sorts when people try to come along and just rearrange your web oh, we'll just be laxed about it. That's probably where the emotional piece comes in. <laughs> I know I was that way. We'll just yeah. leave it that, at that. Yeah. I was that way. Uh, but Dee is remembered as being emotional and domineering, and her husband, Robert, was described as passive and somewhat beat down and opinionless. But they were still known as an enviable family. And And I just want to break a stereotype that just because somebody is domineering and emotional doesn't mean that the other person has to be beat down. Uh, But in this case, the dad just kind of moped around apologizing for his taking up of space, I guess. He just really was, you know, just very opinionless. I wonder how Um, much of each other they they fed into each other, if that makes sense. Like Dee is emotional and dominating because this husband's just sitting there like a lump. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and he's thinking she's constantly calling me a lump when I'm really, I, I am concerned and she's so domineering. You know, I just, you wonder how much of it feeds each other. Yeah. Did she, I mean, you know, the million dollar question there is, was she drawn to him because, oh, the things I could do to him and, or <laughs> was he drawn to her? Oh, now I get to have a life. I yeah. mean, you know, it's true. <laughs> Anyway, no, no, anyway. That's why marriages are between two people. We don't know what's going on. We don't know. And Edwin was the typical first child, uber responsible, serious, and good with finances. In fact, over time, he handled all the family's finances. Just note to you, Caroline and Andy um, and Ben, my three children, no, you're not going to handle my finances, what there is of them. <laughs> So I think you're, um, you're better at it, Mom. I think you're the best in the family. Oh, so. thanks. The, I know how to save. I clip coupons. Yeah. Anyway, this included an elderly grandmother who was in a rest home. He managed her money and her investments. Mm. Oh, Lord. Anyway, I know a lot of families do this. You know, if I had a lawyer in the family, I'd be calling them every 30 minutes. So I really don't have a problem with it. I'm just joking around. But it, it, I know how this story turns out, so I'm kind of, you know, a little worried about that. Elizabeth was born second, and she was well known as having a dramatic flair. For example, when she was very little, she was the one to take her older brother with her around the neighborhood. She would knock on the door, and if the neighbor would pay one nickel, then on cue, Edwin would sing a Johnny Cash song. This I, I actually find this like endearing in ways because it is very cute. I grew up in neighborhoods where, you know, predated a lot of like phones and good TV programming. But, uh, you know, you were out there on your bike. You had to interact with your neighbors. And sometimes they didn't like you. <laughs> they were older people. Right. They didn't really like you. But you were going door to door like, hey, can you entertain me? And so this w- was very industrious to me. I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so cute. Uh, the two of these people. But it also speaks to Elizabeth's real go-getter attitude. I mean, she's going to take the reins, no problem. Let me just show you around the yeah, world. Yeah, she sounds like a born uh, producer. Yeah, yeah. You know, an instigator, a producer, um, a now, did director. Sing the song or did she take her younger brother Andrew around and no, sing No, it was it? Edwin. It was Edwin oh, really? who sang the Johnny Cash songs. No way. I this never before. I think this was probably before little Andrew was born, you know. So oh, she, yeah, that's wow. yeah. for the younger sister. I could have never ordered my brothers around. My, you're right. They were never going to do anything. I no, said. you never tried to either. So you didn't, you know, no, no, no. I, I didn't boss them around. I just said what was going to happen and it happened. And they just never knew what hit them. That it was called the mom. <laughs> anyway. These, cr- these kids, all three of them, grew up to seek success, and it showed up early in life. When he was in high school, Edwin was the first to start a business. He cleaned carpets. He was a real entrepreneurial entrepreneur, and he was very responsible. Now, remember Andrew's 10 years behind big brother Edwin, but when he was in high school, Andrew also started a business at age 16. It was a lawn mowing business. And I got to say, I find this very impressive. Uh, it's a hard thing to stick with, number one, and to build it up. And little Andrew, he's got arthritis. He's got child diabetes. He's got, uh, you know, he's got some issues with his thyroid. And 
uh, he's out there, you know, mowing lawns and making money. Yeah, that's but that's actually really impressive. It is impressive. And so, yeah, while Elizabeth was viewed as dramatic and an entertainer, Edwin was the money man. It was Andrew who started the business that grew to be a huge family business in the greater tri Twin City area of Minneapolis, St. Paul. So Andrew started it. And then Big Brother offered to join the lawn mowing business so he could help grow it from a Golden Valley company to a metro area business. And he did. By 2007, it's estimated that this was a million-dollar business called Hawes Lawn Service. Well, oh my gosh, Andrew, you, you, you are really good. Yeah. Yeah. And Edwin's going to help you. It just all sounds so good. It was early spring of 2007 when Andrew was looking through the business computer which he rarely did, because remember, Edwin handled all the business end of, you know, he handled the records, he handled the money. Edwin had an office where he did all this stuff, and he managed everything, and like grandmother's nest egg, and, you know, the family finances, and this business. And while Edwin handled the business end, Andrew handled the repair of equipment. He was working with all the crews that they had on the payroll, working for the business all around the Twin Cities. But one day, out of the blue, as I say, Andrew stumbled onto some computer records. What's he doing in there? But he's in there, and he found some, and he read the records, and it appeared to show that Edwin was spending money he shouldn't be, and he was driving the company into the ground financially. And after spending days and days tearing up the office of the family lawn care business, which, as I said, was Edwin's domain, Andrew left an accusatory letter for Andrew. Uh, and I'm going to quote from an article in the Star Tribune that indicated part of this letter read, quote, I am going to kill you, end quote. So this is the younger brother, Andrew, who has started this lawn care business. And Edwin is the older brother who has... Um, catapulted it into an even greater financial success and, and regional uh, reach. But then Andrew's on the computer and sees what he believes is to be nefarious spending by his older brother, Edwin. And so he ransacks the office and leaves a note that says, I'm going to kill you. You got it. I mean, that's the picture. You don't have to watch too many murder she wrote to know this. It's not going to like go well for you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> now, remember, Andrew is known as kind of wild and erratic, so maybe that's just how he talks when he's pissed off. But there's no doubt that Andrew must have been reeling. Can you imagine? By 2007, his high school lawn mowing business was a huge family business bringing in millions of dollars, and Edwin was destroying it. His employees reportedly said that this was a very difficult time, and Andrew was just spewing vile and making threats left and right, and it was just a very destabilizing time. Can you imagine being an employee in this business at this time? I would be looking for other employment. I've never enjoyed, you know, I've had a couple of family businesses in my early um, sort of working history, and it's not 
for me, it was never comfortable because I was never going to be a part of the family. And that's really always going to be a part of the foundation here. <laughs> so. Exactly. Somewhere in this chain of events, there was a meeting, no doubt called by Andrew. His whole family sitting around the dinner table at the family home, his mom, his dad, Elizabeth, and Andrew. And of course, Edwin, they're waiting for Edwin. Where are you, Edwin? Well, Edwin did not show up. Andrew laid it all out anyway to his parents and to Elizabeth. Edwin has swindled us into the ground. And to make matters worse, it was discovered that the grandmother, who had $600,000 in an investment account, now had about $25 in that account. <laughs> oh, I kind of care and don't care about the lawnmowing business because you can you can recover. You've got a business. Yes. But an elderly Listen. mother, grandmother, who's in a home somewhere or in a oh. retirement center somewhere. I mean, this yeah. kind of damage is really incalculable. It's very real. That that money was meant to get her through everything for the remainder of her life, which could be another 20. I mean, we don't know anymore about human life expectancy. No. Possible. So no. That, this is pretty dagger in the heart of the family. And Edwin couldn't come to a meeting and at least explain where all this money went and where his family could go to get it back. Well, don't you think it speaks a little bit to a guilt? I mean, I know I hate to do those kind of overgeneralizations because everybody acts differently for different reasons, but you don't show up. Like that says something about your actions, like that you know they're wrong and that you don't care. Or you know what I'm saying? Like, Well, that sure is how they that. took it. Now, I'm okay. I'm going to pretend to be on his side for a minute. Edwin's this man, Andrew, has threatened to kill me, and he's a wild card, and he'll do it. So I'm not coming to that meeting. But couldn't you write a note? Couldn't you write a letter? Or send somebody in your stead or something? I, I, to tell your mom or your dad to tell them something. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. This is, it's getting thick with tension. <laughs> You'd think he would show up, tell his side of the story, or write it in a letter or something. But suddenly, everyone in the family except for dad, because he never weighs in with anything or has opinions, according to all accounts. But everybody else suddenly saw the golden boy, the money man, the top dog, oldest brother, as a cheat and an embezzler. And tempers flared, drama, 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 drama. Just, oh my word. And after Andrew had rifled through the business office and left that note, I'm going to kill you, brother Edwin just disappeared. Sort of. What he did really was to move. He changed his address. He changed his phone. He went to work for a competitor landscaping outfit, and he started siphoning business away Dang. from his family's business. He took numerous accounts with him, so to speak, and started telling many of the Hawes' clients to switch to his new employer, and it was working. Oh, man. You must be onto something, though, Mom, with your take on. I, you know, I may not be absorbing this ransacking of the office and the I'm going to kill you letter as what it really hit Edwin as, which was scary, maybe uh -huh. off-putting, maybe. I mean, he because all of these actions, this is like, this isn't just new life. This is like new life 
I am so indifferent to these people who are my family. Like, I'm going to steal from their pocket, which is my pocket. I don't, I, that's pretty shocking. So there, there has to be more to this ransacking and letter for. Oh, Edwin I agree. Just I mean, drink. is Andrew trying to go out and, and earn that money back? Well, that can't be true because he's siphoning off business. Right. So what it's, in the hell is this? And anyway, with the family now in tatters and all the money apparently gone for three generations of Hawes's, Robert Hawes died. Apparently ailing, upset, and now broke. The 73-year-old patriarch of the family killed himself. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, I mean, you know, that just... I just don't know enough about suicidal ideation to know mm -hmm. does a normally passive person take that drastic of a measure? And it just seems to be contradictory to me. But I, again, I don't know anything about the mental processes that, that involve suicidal ideation, but obviously he felt helpless within hopeless. Yeah, and he, and he just didn't want to you know, be there anymore. That which is so amidst sad. all this heartache and devastation, Andrew and Elizabeth made a decision. Now, I want to remind our listeners that Andrew has always turned to Elizabeth for protection. So what is Elizabeth going to do to help her family and especially Andrew? Well, what they came up with, Andrew and Elizabeth, I think, is a rational step. They decided to call in the feds and the state of Minnesota down on Edwin. I mean, Andrew and his family allies, his mom and his sister Elizabeth, were dead certain that Edwin had embezzled a fortune and ripped off his grandmother's entire life savings. They blamed Edwin for it all, including the death of Robert. Now, that the law is not going to help you with that one. No, but I do, um, I agree. This is a very rational. That's what you do. If you think somebody robbed you, doesn't matter who they are in your life. You call the cops. You call the feds. You get investigated. Investigations began into Edwin's alleged money heist from his own family. The investigation took over a year, Caroline, but I'm just excited that there is an investigation. Yeah. By the late summer of 2007, the state and federal investigation into eldest son, Edwin Hawes's financial dealings was finalized. According to the employees of Hawes Lawn Service at the time, things were very tense. Andrew was enraged and lashing out all year long for a year. I'm surprised he didn't have a stroke. Nobody told him to cool it. Who wants to tell their boss, who also happens to own the business, that they need to relax, think, think things through, and stay rational? Nobody, you know, so everybody was just distancing. Let's go to work. Let's sharpen those blades. Let's go get some new customers. Things were really bad for the employees, for the family, for, but now finally, you know, this investigation is done. The family was in quite a state given that their own Edwin, they believed had stolen their livelihoods from them as well as stealing $600,000 from the very elderly grandmother of the family. I'll never get over that one. Anyway, 
Edwin was the money man for everyone. And as far as the family was concerned, it turned out he was an embezzler and a thief who didn't care what happened to his family because of his greed. And this only tiny little venting valve of potential relief from the growing pressure of their pain and suffering was this investigation into Edwin's evil deeds. So you can just feel the tension. Surely now that the investigation was over, Edwin would be indicted and his assets would be seized and they would be liquidated and the money would come flowing back to the rest of the family. Ah! <clears throat> so on the day Andrew was to meet with the lead investigator, Glenn Bona, Andrew was probably working himself up to this wonderful day of reckoning. The investigation determined that there was absolutely no evidence found that Edwin had gained financially from theft from the business. He never changed his lifestyle and his personal bank accounts showed no money above his earnings as a partner in the family business. As a matter of fact, as an owner officer in Hawes Lawn Service, and especially as the fiduciary of the business, Edwin was legally entitled to spend the funds of the company in any way he saw fit, every bit as much as Andrew was. And there was no evidence that Edwin was pocketing money for his own use. He didn't go anywhere on lavish vacations. He didn't have fancy cars. He had no properties, no partying, no illicit expenditures whatsoever. Nothing. What Edwin was doing was what is commonly known as day trading. And apparently he wasn't very good at it. Oh, God. It makes oh. me happy and sad all at once. I'm happy Edwin's an upstanding guy. I'm sad he's fallen into the trap. But it's, no, it's really no different than gambling. <laughs> You're just gambling. An addiction, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Day trading, I mean, really, wad your money up, pour on some lighter fluid, and put yeah, it in your fireplace and light a fire. match. I feel like I'd have better luck setting it on fire. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. But for those of you who do it, great job. <laughs> I can't do it. Day trading might sound like a great way to reap big returns, but in reality, it's extremely risky and it is very rarely profitable. Even compared to other notoriously volatile enterprises like penny stock trading, day trading is less likely to result in success. This according to many reports that I had to read to find out what the hell is day trading. <laughs> it's just it's gambling in the economy. <laughs> it appears that even though the grandmother was obviously a very vulnerable woman given her age, she had legally authorized Edwin to handle her money and invest it. The investigators found that even though Edwin may not have acted in his grandmother's best interest, he was legally authorized to invest her money. And if he did cross the line, and I speculate that means acted stupid and then stupider until he lost all of her $600,000 life savings, the statute of limitations on that type of crime had run out by the end of the investigation anyway. 
Oh my gosh. Now you I mean, just is... imagine your Andrew standing there listening to this. Well, that wasn't, he was, he should have forwarded the script he had for this investigator <laughs> so that he didn't have to hear about the truth because this all does sound very reasonable. I'm sure this happens a lot actually, but what I feel most bad about is that Edwin did this to his grandmother because this is wrong and it is, you know, yeah, okay. It falls under the didn't act in her best interest. You stole from your grandma. You stole from your grandma because you were in too deep on what you had stolen from the company the good intentions don't undo the action, you know, because I'm sure he had a good intention to put it all back. Any winnings he had go back into the business. I mean, he does strike me as interested in having this business go well, but it's obviously he's not interested in working with his family to do it. So I don't know. It's sad. I think he's probably got his parents and everybody saying, you're so good with money. You're so good with money. That became his mantra and he decided, well, I'm so good with money, I'm going to do day trading because you yeah. can really make a killing there. Well, yeah. killing would be on you, on you. No, <laughs> someone when I made a killing that one time, and we've all been day trading since, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. In the Oxygen show about the Hawes' case, which I watched, witnesses stated that Andrew, upon finding out the investigation was over and no charges would be forthcoming, and coincidentally no money, uh, uh, Andrew was, quote, on fire, end quote. Oh, I can't imagine. On fire. <laughs> like, if I was on fire, I would probably run around the pasture, you know, what big space I could find to try to put it out. And it'd be too late by the time I remembered, oh yeah, I'm supposed to drop and roll. (laughs) (laughs) You're just supposed to grab big pieces of blanket and cloth and roll around. Something, anything but running. (laughs) Oh, let's just give this fire some more oxygen, shall we? Anyway, meanwhile, Edwin had left the business suddenly when Andrew ransacked his office and left him that threatening note. And a witness and friend of Edwin's by the name of Ursula Weltman had seen how bad things were getting. I mean, she just observed her friend, Edwin, and what was happening. So um, he told, she told Edwin, buy a gun for protection. And Edwin did Hmm. buy a gun for protection. Ursula urged Edwin to move. And Edwin did. He moved. She asked him to live with her ailing father at his Andover home, which was in another county away from the Twin Cities. And Edwin did. He moved to Martin Weltman's home out in the country of Anoka County. Hmm. So I'm going to get, apparently, you want to run away from your family, you go to the next county. Okay, (laughs) Caroline, you know. If you're running and you go to King County, I will find you. I know. It's, <laughs> you have to move states. <laughs> if not countries. Yeah, right. I just read an article about some woman who's retired and lives on a cruise ship. Oh, and she figures it's cheaper than going to an assisted living center. You know, It is cheaper. The people are crunching the numbers and it is. But, you know, it's all about how you want to live. I've read those too. It, it does look... It does look appetizing to me, like it looks appealing. I also have watched a couple shows about like old, well, excuse me, assisted living facilities um, for elderly folks to live in. And it's like literally everything is there. Doctors are there. Like, right. You, you stores don't have, are you, there. A community. Yeah, stores. A planned retirement activities. 
Yeah. I yeah, so I mean, you know, sounds good. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, Edwin, you could have taken a cruise. Do you have to go to just one county over? Yeah, but it is big spaces in Minnesota, and this is quite a ways away. So maybe he just felt more comfortable there. So with Edwin living with Mr. Weltman on his property, and the investigation into Edwin's financial doings all wrapped up, with Elizabeth agitated and Andrew on fire. Suddenly, a little automobile called the Volkswagen Passat became the center of Hawes's universe because Edwin had it, and Andrew and Elizabeth now wanted to repossess it because it was paid for by Hawes Lawn Service Business. So let me get this straight. You're looking to get your money back. You find out you're not going to get your money back, so your focus of attention is a car. How about focus of attention being civil lawsuit? There you uh, go. Now there, that would have been the second rational choice. Right. The investigation fell through, but it's no, clear this car. This no, car I know, is our like, mascot for the wrong that you did. Right. Well, and it's like they're basically saying, "Well, but why didn't they take their investigation to court and say, yeah, there's nothing criminally wrong, but he wronged our family and he was a fiduciary. There's got to be some monetary value there. So why didn't they do right. that? But instead Something. they're taking it up okay, get the car. (laughs) Let's get the car. Volkswagen Passat. One day, Elizabeth and or Andrew decided to wait outside the grade school where Edwin's daughter attended. They did this in order to watch as Edwin picked up his daughter from school and follow Edwin back to wherever he was living so that they could repossess that Passat. And it worked. Edwin came to get his little daughter from school and Andrew followed them back home. Mm-hmm. And shortly after that, Andrew, who apparently has no um, no filter, no control over his actions, like mm-hmm. I have the thought to set you on fire, next minute you're on fire. <laughs> anyway, shortly after they followed him back home, Andrew plowed into the Volkswagen Passat in broad daylight on a busy public roadway, with Edwin and his little daughter inside. So this is where they cross a line for uh-huh. me. You're involving this daughter. You're stalking. And yeah. Yeah. Yes. No. The sheriff's office was called to the scene. Andrew was cited for trying to T-bone Edwin and a no contact order was issued for Andrew against, well, issued on Andrew. So you can't come within X number of feet or miles to, from your brother. Edwin, meanwhile, bought another gun. So Edwin is is getting an arsenal here. He's got two guns. Well, That's two hundred percent more than what I have. Right. I guess that well, would be you know. Yeah. It's well, and honestly, in my mind, you already have one gun. What do you think two guns is going to do? Do you think they collaborate to form a united front for you? Like, no, it's I just another know. gun. Like, maybe but, he but maybe I, he bought one for his sister. But I feel badly because what it speaks to is a a general sense of fear and lack of control. And that I feel bad about because Edwin's just trying to escape. He uh, Honestly, I don't know how he feels about his wrongdoing because there is some wrongdoing on Edwin's part about this money. But nothing that would allow you and your daughter to become targets in this way. I mean, that jeez. Well, it's fixing to get worse. Uh, He bought another gun. Whenever that sentence comes in a story, you know that things are going to get worse. 
Because the next thing that happened was Elizabeth was seen just rambling around on foot on Mr. Weltman's property for no apparent reason, just moseying around. And Edwin saw her as he was looking out of the side window of Mr. Weltman's house where Edwin had been living. Edwin contacted the police. See, he's he's still kind of rational. Oh, 100% rational. He may be... Uh, you know, stupid guy who lost control of his impulses, but he's, he, and, you know, et cetera, but he's thinking rationally, I'm going to call the police. And as a result, Elizabeth received a no contact order against her. So now they both have no contact orders, Elizabeth and Andrew against, you know, for Edwin. Yeah. Neither Andrew nor his protector in chief, Elizabeth, could legally now come within a thousand feet or so of Edwin or his home, which would, of course, be the guy he's living with, Mr. Martin Weltman's home. In the early morning hours of October 30th, 2008, now that's what they call Devil's Night, Mm. um, the day before Halloween, and this is the early morning hours of Devil's Night, two officers Deputies Brian Pearson and Brett Frostley were in the parking lot of Woodland Creek Golf Course. This golf course is about one mile from Martin Weltman's home. Remember that Edwin Hawes was making his residence in the home of uh, Martin Weltman because Edwin was afraid of his brother Andrew, afraid that he would harm him. Martin's daughter Ursula had asked Edwin to move in with her ailing father to protect himself and to be a helper to Martin. So anyway, back to the story. The two deputies on Devil's Night got out of their patrol car to check out the odd situation in front of them. This is a golf course in the middle of the night. So what was a Hawes Lawn Service vehicle doing parked in the parking lot of the golf course in the middle of the night? It just didn't look right. They shone their flashlights about the vehicle and around it, and suddenly came a woman out of the woods. And of course, the woman was Elizabeth Hawes, skulking around. Initially, she offered the explanation that she was having problems with the truck. They asked her what she was doing in this area so late at night, and Elizabeth said she was with a friend working on a cancer fundraiser. Mm. They asked her a few questions about that, and she wasn't making any sense. Yeah, so the officers decided to run a records check on Elizabeth Hawes. By the way, Caroline, I love these deputies. Yeah. They're, they're just doing their job. Enough. Yeah. You got to follow through on those. Huh? Right. <laughs> I mean, they were very thorough. My hat is off to their sheriff because I'm a believer that the quality of work begins at the top. And when these officers found out that Elizabeth Hawes had a restraining order against her by Edwin Hawes, who lives a mile away, alarm bells were going off. Yay. One officer decided to go check on Edwin at Martin Weltman's home. But on his way, he encountered none other than Andrew Hawes, flagging him down in the middle of the street. (laughs) What? Oh, it's devil's night, all right. Andrew told the officer he was having a diabetic reaction, so the officer called for an ambulance, put Andrew in the patrol car, drove him back to the truck, that was in the golf course parking lot where his sister was too 
And they did that so that the ambulance personnel could assess and treat him. And Andrew told the officer he was in the area trying to repossess a Volkswagen Passat that his brother had. To get over Well, that's the, the truth. Passat. And, you know, that's actually good that he told the truth of trying to repossess the Passat. Yeah, which is an old story. It predates your restraining orders. So I don't yes, know. Yes, I'm bored true. of it. Get over the car. <laughs> Apparently, Elizabeth's restraining order had been finalized but not Andrews. And so the officers didn't find his restraining order. Okay. And that's going to become part of the story. It wasn't through the red tape yet. Oh. At some point with all these, this drama going on in the golf course parking lot in the truck belonging to Haas Lawn Service Company, at some point, Elizabeth admitted that she was in the area not for a cancer fundraiser planning event, but a Volkswagen Passat repossession event with her brother Andrews <laughs> against her other brother Edwin. These so, two, I mean, the, I tell you what. this is where like a scene out of Keystone Cops is reversed. Yeah. The, the cops are the adults in the room. Yeah. And, you know, Andrew and his sister Elizabeth are two parts of an idiot machine running through the countryside. Right. Because as believable as my cancer story was, let me just level with you. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> Officers then arrested Elizabeth for violating her restraining order, and she was taken to the sheriff's office. Good. She was ultimately released after being charged with the violation. She would need to return at a future time for a hearing. Andrew evidently uh, left the scene in the Hawes Lawn Service pickup truck. You know, he eventually got in the truck. He he recovered from his diabetic mm-hmm. um, reaction and left in the truck. Because remember, he doesn't have a restraining order on record yet. Well, so that's the thing I'm thinking is maybe... His just didn't get clear. I mean, I know there's a lot of paperwork, database things, and these are all human-based machines, and so it, it's it's de- it's still dependent upon a human. I, you know, like I'm guessing it doesn't go right into it from some squad. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how it works, but that is an anomaly that she hers would be visible, but his not quite yet. Well, his is more serious. I mean, he was the yeah. one who T-boned the Passat. With a child in the car. With I mean, a child was... in the car. So his might be under consideration for future charges mm-hmm. by the district mm-hmm. attorney. So his restraining order might be snagged up there. Right. But anyway, later that same morning, so now we're talking about uh, Deputy Ho- Josh Hotton saw a mallet, excuse me, Deputy Josh Hotton saw a wallet on the road as he drove past Weltman's house. This is a totally different deputy. Mm-hmm. Deputy Halton found Edwin Hawes's driver's license in the wallet, and he stopped by the Weltman's house to return it. Martin Weltman told the officer that Edwin did live there, but he was not at home at the moment. On his way back to the patrol car, Deputy Josh Hotton noticed blood on the driveway but chalked it up to a probable deer because bow season had just begun and there were a lot of deer getting shot and killed and the meat being processed. So this deer might be running away after being shot with a bow and arrow and left some blood. Apparently this, I mean, it sort of 
sort of makes me feel like that whole part of Minnesota is blood splattered. I don't know. <laughs> They're like, oh, don't mind the blood splatter. It's deer yeah, season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never mind that. These these deer are hard to kill. Yeah. Anyway, later in the day, Martin Weltman had the occasion to walk outside and he saw the blood for himself. And it was daylight now and he could see there was a pool of coagulated blood on the driveway in front of his house. Mm. Mr. Weltman went back inside and called the sheriff's office to raise the alarm about the copious amounts of blood on his driveway. And another deputy named Jonathan Isig was dispatched to the Weltman house where he also saw the large-sized pool of coagulated blood. So while speaking with Mr. Weltman and his daughter Ursula, Essig also noticed more blood on the house and in the landscaping chips. Essig called for help with the scene, and later that day, John Bergren from Anoka County Crime Lab arrived on scene, and he found several items of note a large pool of blood on the driveway, various splatters, drops, and wall blood stains near the driveway, drag marks from landscaping chips onto an adjacent driveway, evidence of a cleanup with a liquid, tips of a hunting arrow on the driveway, cell phone case with blood on it, cell phone battery, broken arrow, bottle of bleach in the yard, baseball bats spray-painted black, Two small mall-type hammers in different locations, also painted black, and a can of spray paint. Mm, that's quite a bit. I mean, I'm going to start looking for dead, not deer, just some dead something or other, or more than one dead something or others. I mean, Weltman told Isig he did not own any of those items on the property. He had no idea of that the origin of any of the splatter, the puddles, the the black hammer, the spray paint. I mean, oh my gosh. Mm. Various pieces of evidence were also found near the pocket parking lot of the of the golf course where Elizabeth and Andrew had parked the Hawes lawn service truck, including a crossbow, a quiver and a single arrow, another separate arrow, a plastic jug smelling like bleach a brown jacket, and two blood-stained latex gloves. Okay. Oh, gosh. I, by that time, you know, if you're an investigator, you're thinking Something's murder. dead somewhere. Yeah, something yeah. is definitely dead. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Hawes lived with his girlfriend, Christina Dornenden, in Westbrook, far out in the country part of... Cottonwood County, away from the Weltman property in Anoka County. So it's a lot of counties. There's a lot of land that there's a lot of pieces and parts of this scheme going uh, that the officers are going to have to put together. The sheriff's office asked the Westbrook police chief, Alan Wall, to locate Andrew. Wall obliged and found Andrew Hawes in front of his farmhouse with a fire going. Mm. A big old bonfire. Wall asked Andrew if he had a permit for that fire and other questions. And Wall kept his police vehicle and Andrew well away from the fire while they talked. Hawes appeared unsettled, nervous, edgy, and fidgety, said Wall. Wall left the scene at this point. So, you know, he's writing this down in his his ledger that, you know, 
causes unsettled, nervous, edgy, and fidgety. And well, I did could he tell take... him, you know, that's, that's his normal mode. But yeah. anyway. Did he take Andrew with him or he just kind of, kind of captured these feelings and then he's leaving again? Do we know? He's leaving, but he returned. Okay. Uh, with a state trooper and a sheriff's deputy shortly after midnight. So now we're getting into Halloween. Yeah. When they arrived, Elizabeth Hawes was standing near the fire. The fire was kind of popping and sizzling, said the state trooper Matt Smith after the fact, like there was something wet in the fire. He saw a pitchfork nearby, and he decided to take a closer look at the fire and into the fire. He spotted a jawbone first. It was pointing straight up to the sky. Then he saw the skull, and there were traces of blood around the fire. So I imagine he did a little jerk back. Holy shit. Yeah. Elis Elizabeth stood even closer to the fire and kind of saw him seeing all this stuff and said, that's not a horse we're burning in there. That's not my brother in there. And she was shivering. What? What? That's a weird little snippet of your brain. It's not a horse, but it's not your brother either. Interesting. <laughs> if I'm Me an officer, more. I'm thinking either it's a horse and or a brother. Ugh, I mean, weird. <laughs> weird. Very strange. She was shivering. Uh, you know, I'd be shivering too, uh, Elizabeth, because this might not end well for you. Mm. But later while in the back of a sheriff's deputy Brian Pearson's patrol car, Elizabeth volunteered a lot of information. She's just a little chatty Kathy. She said she hoped her brother Edwin had gotten into a terrible accident and had died. She said many things to the deputy who was running a tape machine with Elizabeth's consent. If you're going to talk to me, I need to run the audio tape. Is that okay? Oh, sure, because I have a lot to say. Uh, very I hope my brother's dead. And then she said, I'm an actress. Not, well, not obviously not a paid one. <laughs> like, I mean, you're not doing great. <laughs> no. The, tr the trooper viewed Elizabeth as being evasive, but also awkward. Quote, she showed me her screen actor's guilt card and kept saying, I'm an actress, said Deputy Pearson. Seriously? So she's not just saying it once. Once Deputy Pearson later recalled to other people, I thought she was acting. Well, she's paid for a Screen Actors Guild card. What does that cost? I mean, don't you have to pay dues? Can anyone get that? Is it like a bar license? You just got to jump through the hoops and you get one? <laughs> I don't know. But if I'm going to run around killing people or maiming people or T-boning people or setting them on fire... I'm gonna get something better than a dip, than a than a Screen Actors Guild card. I'm gonna maybe get a, a a fake badge of some sort and say I'm with the Secret Service. I don't know where well, did she why, get this card. But why is it even? Why does she believe it's relevant? Does she believe that that'll throw enough 
you know, jumbled information in there to mix it up so much they'll just never know who did this? I mean, I just... Well, the record does show that when she said, that's not a horse we're burning in there, that's not my brother in there, she was shivering. That report, she was shivering, must mean my brains leave my... Yeah. Leave my body through through my skull, oh, and now they're at my feet or something. I don't know. She's not in her right mind, perhaps. Yeah. Police in Cottonwood County and sheriff's deputies in Anoka County were now all looking for Andrew Hawes. His sister Elizabeth was arrested, along with Andrew's girlfriend, Christina, Around 2.30 a.m. when Elizabeth was discovered by the giant fire that had a human body being burned to bits, Christina had driven up in a Ford 350 pickup. Blood was seen running out of the pickup's tailgate. It had a pool of blood in the truck bed and blood on the body of the truck, which Christina could not explain. She, too, was arrested. Later, investigators would find two plastic jugs containing bleach as well as bloody latex gloves in the Ford 350. What? Anyway, the bones in the fire pit at the farmhouse Andrew owned was forensically confiscated and taken back to the medical examiner in Anoka County where they would eventually become jigsaw puzzled back together. And the bones would be identified as belonging to Edwin Hawes. Now, recently, Caroline, I found out, and everybody listening probably already knows this, but I didn't realize that when you say, you know, the bones in the fire pit were forensically confiscated, what that means is you confiscate them in a way that will be a chain of custody mm-hmm. and proper handling so that when you get to court, yeah. you can offer it as evidence. Yeah, you can That's definitively what say, meant. we haven't swapped any of these bones. These are the same bones we pulled. Nothing added, nothing taken away. Right. Yeah. Once again, props to the officers, you know, the many, many, many officers from different jurisdictions uh, handling this case very, very well. When law enforcement asked Christina where her boyfriend was, her boyfriend, you know, of course, is is Andrew, she told them that he was staying at her father's house in Westbrook because they were fixing up the farmhouse where the huge fire was. Are there any firearms at your father's house? An officer asked Christina. Yes, my father has hunting rifles, was her response. Well, that's all I need to know, said the officer. And with that, a SWAT team was organized to locate and bring in Andrew Hawes. They descended, albeit stealthily, into the home of Christina Dornadin's parents' house, found Andrew Hawes sleeping soundly in a bedroom, and arrested him on the spot at 7 a.m. Can you imagine how the Dornadins are feeling about this? Christina's parents? Well, and how much does Kristen know, like, She's got blood hanging out the truck. Like I just this is just a weird, crazy scene to me. And he's asleep, like I like a baby just sleeping. I just I, this is all very shocking to me. Well, Elizabeth Hawes, Andrew Hawes, Kristen Dordenen were booked into the Anoka County, Minnesota jail, charged with the murder of Edwin Hawes on Halloween 2008. 
Deputies also were sent to the home of Elizabeth Hawes to interview and possibly arrest her husband, Daniel Romig, for murder. He was the owner of the 350 pickup Mm. that Christina Dornadin drove to the farmhouse in Cottonwood County where the fire was. Daniel Romig claimed to know nothing about the murder of Andrew, but he did say he often heard his wife Elizabeth talking with her brother Andrew, and they were constantly talking about repossessing the Passat. And he said he did have the thought that maybe that was code for murdering Edwin. Oh, my God. Yeah. You, you know, let the freaking car go. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> like, because I think it did morph Dan- into murder him. I just, I kind of want to be mad at Daniel. You know, if you had the thought that they were saying repossess the Passat was code for murdering Edwin. Could you call the police, please? Or maybe say that out loud. Sometimes saying things out loud is enough to jar people back into reality. Probably not these people, but maybe. <laughs> maybe. The actress, maybe. Remember the fact that the Hawes family volunteered at their church in Golden Valley? Well, on October 31st, Edwin's Volkswagen Passat was located in a church parking lot in Golden Valley, And in it, they found blood on the rocker panel, blood on the right headlight, blood on the front passenger door, blood on the left rear quarter panel, bottom of the driver's door, all over the bottom of the car. Hair and blood were found on the left front wheel and three to four pound hammer that was brand new was covered in blood and there was a loaded pistol on the back seat floor. Jeez. Jeez Louise. That's a lot. Needless to say, all this gore found belonged to Edwin, who was now in charred bits and pieces in the medical examiner's office. In other words, all that blood belonged to him. The hair, the hair and blood on the tires. What does that tell you? Oh, gosh. Investigators searched the Hawes Lawn Service office in the Hawes home Police found latex gloves that appeared to have deposits of spray paint on them and white paper that appeared to serve as a backdrop for spray painting in the areas of the garage. So this gets back to the stuff that Elizabeth, they think, planted on the property where Edwin was staying Mm. and was was painted black hammers and painted black, you know, all kinds of stuff back there. Remember the hammers that were placed in different locations around Martin Weltman's property? The crossbow that was all so weirdly painted black, too. The cause of death of Edwin Hawes, the firstborn son into the Hawes family of Golden Valley, Minnesota, no more, now it's, was due to homicidal violence. Wow. So he's been murdered. Edwin had been shot with a broadhead crossbow arrow, which was, it passed through the front of his body to the back, so he knew who his killer was. My brother, my brother is killing me, was probably the last thought he had. The blood spray pattern on the outside of Martin Weltman's house was most likely caused by Edwin coughing up blood after he was shot in his center mass with the arrow and one of his lungs collapsed. Then Edwin was beaten with a mallet-type hammer, and he suffered grave blunt force trauma to his skull. And then he was run over by the Volkswagen Passat. 
Jeez. I mean, this is horrific. This isn't like I'm angry and I emotionally like stab you 17 times. This is like a brutal, a, like a brutal attack. The brutality is, is uncomfortable because most humans should not behave this way. Like, no, well, it sort of reminds me of, um, you know, when you're under a lot of stress, you revert back to an earlier and earlier time of of coping, and pretty soon your coping strategies are that of an infant yeah. or a toddler. Screaming you're screaming, you're ranting. Yeah. And, you know, these people are all coming together in a sort of folly I do where one person has a psychotic break and now everybody's got a right. psychotic break. Because this is kooky stuff. I mean, for an actor with a Screen Actors Guild card in their wallet, what are you doing traipsing through the woods after bludgeoning your brother to death? I don't know. The whole thing is crazy to me. Edwin was put into the back of Elizabeth and her husband Daniel's Ford F-350, and at some point, Kristen Dornadin was instructed to drive the pickup to the Cottonwood farmhouse that she and Andrew were fixing up. So that's how she got in that car. They told her, take this truck, take it over to the farmhouse uh, that she and Andrew were fixing up. Eventually, throughout the months before Elizabeth and Andrew were separately tried and convicted of murdering Edwin Hawes with a crossbow, a mallet hammer, and then run over with the Passat, charges were dropped on Christina Dornan and Daniel Romig. So at one point they were charged. Okay. But then they were investigated and found that they did not, they were not complicit. Even though Chris, I'm speculating here that the charges could someday come back on them. I was just going to say, because she did drive. I mean, you're an accessory even when you don't want to be, I think, sometimes on accident. She swears she didn't know there was a dead body in the back of the truck. You know, and I could probably, I could believe that. I just, but it's like, I don't know. I get how you could, in the realm of the judicial realm, you could still technically be charged even if you just goes to show ask more questions people don't just do solids for people if you feel like why well why why am i driving this truck from point a to point b can i look around what am i loading you know that kind of stuff not that that's helpful now i do wonder what their life is like if they still live in golden valley right elizabeth hawes tried to get her statements legally squashed i bet these were the statements she made in the back seat of the squad car, namely that it, that's not my brother in the fire. And she thought Edwin might have been in a terrible accident. She hoped he died. But all of that failed. Her mother testified at the trial. And I found the mother, D. Hawes, testimony to be particularly rich and particularly revealing, Caroline. Among her testimony... She, uh, I'm going to call out just a few gems about the daughter, Elizabeth. She said a lot about her daughter, Elizabeth, and it was all glowing. (laughs) It was all all over the place. Elizabeth is a good girl. She is a healer. She's a compassionate person. Elizabeth is the family's problem solver and social director, and she's the most dependable of all my children. Oh, Dee Hawes and said that her son, Edwin, had told her a year ago before the murder that he was afraid of his brother, Andrew. And she told him he would be, he wouldn't, he, she told him, you're going to be safe around Andrew. Don't worry about Andrew. 
So, in other words, Dee had some communication with Edwin, who told her, you know, I'm scared. Andrew's going to murder me. And she said, don't worry about it. On the stand at her daughter's murder trial, Dee Hawes stated, I am not wrong about anything. I stand by all my statements. I'm never wrong about anything. So there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, sort of. I I think anyone who kind of says that kind of stuff, you've already revealed that your brain is one of those ones that hasn't, there's an inability for you to see your portion of any given situation. They've done studies on this. There are people's brains who, there's a point which they're no longer going to learn because part of learning is like sort of a failure and accountability of errors, things like that. There's some people whose brains say, nope, if you let in this, you know, notion that you have made a mistake, we're going to die. Don't do that. (laughs) You know, I do think some people's brains are wired that way. And so that's why you're absolutely right. In fact, one of these days I want us to do the, the, uh, case of, uh, list John List, who uh, murdered his entire family. And I saw him in uh, late in his life, an interview that he did from prison. Mm -hmm. And he said he he just was one of those people that once he had an idea to do something, there was no analysis of it. And he just couldn't help himself from just doing it. And that's what she's saying right here. I stand by my statement because I am not wrong about anything. Right. Well, and I feel bad that Edmund, Edwin had gone to her even a year prior because, and said all of that, because it just really feeds more to my thoughts now, which I, this is the first time I'm thinking this about this case, even though we've done this so many times. Something, there must have been a bigger energy in the ways Andrew and even Elizabeth, but mostly Andrew, was coming at him about this. And it's, I can see it as a misunderstanding between these two personality types. Edwin's, uh, you know, going to be an escape artist. He's going to kind of flee these problems, avoid the conflict, and just stick to the money. Andrew is a hothead, flying off the handle, irrational. You know, once I get a thought, I'm never going to let it go. It's the truth for me kind of guy. And so that no one ever sat them down as a part of this. The mom never sat them both down and said, here's what's actually happening. You need to do X, Y, and Z to get back with your brother. You know, she didn't do that with either of them. But that's, I think, what was needed because if Edwin was that afraid, I mean, my goodness, there must have been so much more happening that no one was seeing that just went unaddressed, you know? And if you don't address it, people are going to assume it's right. (laughs) Right. I think she was saying, you'll be safe around Andrew. And since she told him that, then it can't possibly be true that Andrew killed him. Right. Right. And that is what, you know, she's going to stick with to the end of her life. Oh, my Lord. In January 2010, Elizabeth Hawes was convicted of first-degree murder of Edwin Hawes. Next up in April 2010, Andrew Hawes was also convicted of first-degree murder of Edwin Hawes. At his trial, Edwin admitted to trying to scare Edwin. He pinned the murder on his brother-in-law, Daniel Roenig, who was never charged. Andrew tried to get his jury to believe that he accidentally backed over Edwin when he repossessed the Passat. His quote, that was what he said. I was just repossessing the Passat. I accidentally ran over him a little bit. (laughs) 
You know, speaking for myself, I agree with Daniel Roenig, Elizabeth's husband, who thought that repossess the Passat was code for murder Edwin. Absolutely. You know, Caroline, and I'm looking at this family and I'm thinking, okay, remember that meeting that you called, Andrew, for your whole family and Edwin didn't show up and you told them that all the money was gone and Granny's money was gone and it was all Edwin's fault and I'm going to kill him and all of that. Remember that? How come there was not a single person in that family that said, we do not have time to worry about who did what? Right now, we need to figure out how are we going to make a living? Right. Let's put together a plan. Right. Instead of letting his mind go down, the revenge will solve our money problems. Yeah. Revenge does not solve your money problems. No, no. And yeah, it's just a sad story because it just feels like intervention would have helped here. Like you're saying, yeah, why... Why didn't someone come in and refocus these people? Because Andrew and Elizabeth just went down such a dark, weird road. It's an understandable one because people get wronged in these ways all the time. But what? You know, you're going to, I mean, this is a brutal murder. It's not even just like you murdered him. You know, it's not even like you just hit him with the car. You did so many other destructive, deplorable things. You're painting weapons all black so you can like, murder him find him or weapons? not find him or yeah weird i don't get it both edwin and elizabeth appealed their convictions and both of them have lost a lot of the material for our podcast came from legal reviews of the appeals and you can find that online of course and both edwin and elizabeth hawes were sentenced to life in prison without parole and are serving time in minnesota department of corrections While researching and writing this podcast, Caroline, I found an article from Bazaar Magazine, June 28th, 2021, in which it describes Elizabeth Hawes as a multi-year enterer in the PEN Women in Prison Contest, PEN, capital P-E-N, It's a contest for women who are incarcerated um, to enter poetry into a bizarre magazine contest, and they get their poem published. Um, So in the June 21st piece, Elizabeth wrote the following. This was in a big essay that she wrote, which you can easily find through Bizarre uh, Magazine 2021, Elizabeth Hawes poem. But she wrote, all people love their families. All people want to feel safe. All people want to find purpose and dignity and contribute to the world. Well, that's lovely. I want to ask her one question. Does that include your brother, Edwin? So I didn't write her, Caroline. So we'll have to end our episode today on that note that she is in a delusion of what all people deserve. And yet it was her and her brother who took a life, ruined a life first, albeit for revenge instead of trying to find a way to get the money back. Well, for the family, their niece. their niece has no father, and that's a direct result of her. So, I mean, I just, yeah, it's a frustrating. Absolutely, case. It's sad. Today, 
Today's episode was researched, written, and narrated by Bridget and Caroline, produced by Andy. Our research is solely based on public domain documents, including legal documents, articles, and books about our subject. Episodes are aired every other week. If you like us, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, tell your friends about us in person and by social media. And all of these actions help new listeners to find us. And we thank you for passing on the word. And we appreciate you very much. And don't forget to live and let live. Bye-bye, Caroline. Bye-bye.